0: The first time the word church is used in the New Testament, especially the first time uttered by the Lord Jesus, was, as we know, in Matthew 16. Here he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Brother Lee has a little book entitled, you know, The Greatest Prophecy is this word, I will build my church. But immediately he went on to say, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. This is really uh, quite a striking two verses, or two statements. Immediately after declaring, I will build my church, the Lord addresses one matter and declares a second matter. He recognizes the fact that the weapon the enemy will use against the church is death. The gates of Hades, (coughs) the power of death. It's very important that we understand this. Otherwise, in a sense, we will naively be practicing the church life without the realization There is a constant war going on between life and death. So the Lord indicated there's such a thing as the gates of Hades. But, he declared, these gates will not prevail against the church he's building up. It would be very helpful for us to be deeply impressed with what is it against which death cannot prevail, and that is the resurrection life of Christ. I repeat, in the very beginning, the Lord said he will build his church. Later, he went on to speak of his death and resurrection on the third day. He indicated the gates of Hades will attack in various ways, subtly, seemingly mildly, viciously, again and again. But they will not prevail against a church being built up in the resurrection life of Christ. Then the Lord Jesus went to the cross to accomplish redemption, dying an all-inclusive death. And Hebrews makes clear the Lord through his death made purification for sins. But Hebrews 2.14, a powerful verse, says, Through death, the Lord destroyed the one who had the power of death. That is the devil. This is a fact. The source of death, the devil, has been destroyed by Jesus on the cross. The following verse goes on to say, to release those who all their life long were held in bondage by the fear of death. In Matthew 16, the Lord identified the foe and the weapon of the foe. In Hebrews 2.14, we have a word proclaiming the destruction of the one who has the power of death. Then in Revelation one eighteen, the Lord is speaking directly to the Apostle John. He said, I am the living one who became dead and behold, I am living forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. So first he conquered the devil with the power of death on the cross. Then in his enlivened spirit, the spirit of his divinity, First Peter 3.18, he descended into the abyss. And proclaimed his victory to those spirits bound there. He took a tour of the region of death. And according to Acts 2.24, it was impossible for him to be bound by death. So he walked out, but indicated, when I leave. I'm taking the keys. I, the Son of Man, have the authority over death and Hades. Now he is carrying out his heavenly ministry. And he is aware that although the war was won at the cross, the church needs to stand in this victory and testify it, and apply and experience it. So in actuality, this battle continues. There is a particular aspect of Christ's heavenly ministry, and that is his ministry as the divine high priest. As the kingly high priest, he's Melchizedek, ministering the process God to those fighting for his interests on earth. According to Hebrews 7, he is the divine high priest, and verse 16 makes clear, he is constituted with an indestructible Life. So the Lord is now a high priest forever because of the power of this indestructible life. And it is as such a divine high priest with an indestructible, powerful, eternal life that he is ministering on our behalf, interceding for us, and supplying the church, which at least the leading ones and the more experienced sisters need to know, is in a constant battle with death. So the Lord is aware that this Warfare will take place, the enemy will try in various means to bring death into the church, into our lives, and we'll unveil some of the aspects of this. So we need to realize more and more that in his heavenly ministry, Christ is ministering to us particularly to keep us in our church life and in our Christian life in the power of this indestructible life. That no matter what we're going through personally or corporately, our testimony is this. Death cannot hold the resurrection life. Through every block and barrier it breaks, conquering the power of darkness and of hell. So in order for us to have a church life on this earth, in the midst of the world system, Opposed by the kingdom of Satan and opposed by the religious system. We need to be receiving a continual transmission of indestructible life into our being. So the first section of the outline is on this. Then in the second section we see that the church life depends for its continuation on the heavenly ministry of Christ. In particular, on the ministry of Christ as a minister in the heavenly tabernacle, transmitting a heavenly life into us, and also, especially, as Christ is the divine high priest, supplying life to deal with every and any aspect of death that afflicts us. Then we will be living out the fulfillment of Matthew 16:18 upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So Roman numeral one says, Christ is the divine high priest constituted with an indestructible life. Nothing can destroy it. It faces death. It passes through death. It emerges always victorious over death. This is the life by which we live the church life. The biggest mistake we can make, and we may make it unintentionally, is to live the church life by our natural human life. That contradicts the very nature and function of the church. We can live our human life by this life. We can live our family life by this life. We can live a social life by this life. We can live a religious life as part of organized Christianity by this life, but not the church. The practical, actual, local church life requires another life lived out in our human life. And that other life is the life of the divine high priest the indestructible life. And the Lord will shepherd all of us in his way, in his time, until we personally find this to be real. We go through all manner of things, worn out, worn down, exhausted, Weakened, defeated, even despairing and hopeless. The Lord is aware this is going on. But to some extent, we need these kinds of things to eventually have no confidence in our natural human life. But to recognize... We need another life. We can turn to the Lord and say to Him, I cannot live without you. I cannot. I cannot even be a human without you. I can't be a dad, a husband, a grandpa. I can't be a believer without you. I can't live the church life. This is a very great experiential realization. Then a new vista opens up. And now we live by the principle of the tree of life. Nothing is formal. Nothing is religious. Nothing is routine anymore. The principle of the tree of life is dependence on God. Now we come to him, we call on him, we pray to him, we open to him, we read his word, because we cannot live without him. Point A says, Christ has been constituted the divine high priest according to the power of an indestructible life which nothing can dissolve. It is this life that gives us the unshakable kingdom. Everything natural, everything human can and will be shaken, not this indestructible life. The indestructible life is an endless life, being the divine, being the eternal, divine, uncreated life, and the resurrection life that has passed through the death, the test of death and Hades. And it is a great blessing to any local church to have even one or two brothers and sisters simply there in the church life who know this, who know this. Their being testifies this. That this life is eternal, divine, uncreated, it's a resurrection life, it has passed through the test of death and Hades. And so these saints don't need to, they may in shepherding, but they don't need to in their public testimony to go into detail about the test. They simply minister to you resurrection life that passes through death and is victorious. This is the life by which we have the church life. The church life is the corporate living out of this indestructible life. See, we, we need Christ's divine priesthood because of death and the issues, the byproducts of death. So there's the power of death itself, then there's the effects of death. Sometimes just sighing is an expression of death, just being worn out, being depleted, being exhausted. This goes back decades ago. One day, under this kind of pressure, I wrote the beginning lines of a poem which will forever remain unfinished, as it should be. (laughs) I said, my my soul is the crater of an extinct volcano. (laughs) Just burned out. Well, what is burned out? It's the natural human life that's burned down. When Moses stopped to see that burning bush, he stopped because the bush continued to be burning. He saw many bushes, poof, go up like that. Spontaneous combustion. Then in a few seconds, they're gone. But the eternal fire of the indestructible life the fire burning in our spirit right now can never be extinguished. So physically and psychologically, especially in the church life, the enemy will try to arrange all kinds of pressures. I know what it is. For every member of my immediate family, to be in an extreme crisis at the same time. The same time. There's no way out. You can't go over it, under it, around it, through it, and you can't stand to be in it. (laughs) That is when the influx of indestructible life comes so let's read the subpoints now. According to the broadest definition of death in the Bible, death includes vanity, corruption, sighing, groaning, and decay, just sighing. Just You can just shrug your shoulders and sigh. I would say it includes the wearing out tactics of the enemy. Brother Nee has a very helpful message on this. The enemy wants to wear us down. Physically, psychologically, spiritually. So our Divine High Priest is fully aware of this. It affects him deeply. So he's ministering indestructible life into it continuously. But it makes a great difference when we see this, when we open to this, and just let it come. And sometimes the Lord would indicate to you, just don't do anything. Let the body supply you. Let the body bear this. Just rest in the triune God, rest in the body, You'll have your turn again to minister to others. Now it's your turn. Just rest. Let the supply come directly from the head into your spirit and indirectly through the members. This is a very precious and deep dimension of the church life. You're in a local church, but you're also in the universal body of Christ expressed through that local church. And the indestructible life circulating in the body is now available to you. Don't try to make it. Don't try to endure. Just receive the supply. We have a high priest fully aware of the situation we're in. He passed through it. He defeated it. He, has the key. he holds the authority over it. He's ministering concerning it. Because of the issues of death, we need the divine priesthood, which is the presence of life and the absence of death. So when this divine priesthood functions, life is present and death departs. It's hard to describe. But your spirit is lifted again. You can smile again. You can sing again. You can read the word again. You can pray again. You find yourself speaking in the meeting again, even when you said after last time, you're not going to do it again. Here you are. What is this? It's something divine, something of resurrection. Three, we may participate in the divine priesthood that diminishes and even swallows up all the byproducts of death. If you would like to participate, I would suggest you don't have to wait to the end of the meeting. You can just offer a little prayer inwardly, Lord. I would like death to be diminished in me right now. Someone else may say, diminishes is good. I'm asking you to swallow it up. Swallow it up. Let's all agree that in the coming near future the heavenly Christ, the divine high priest will swallow up death in Cleveland, Ohio. Swallow it up. Nullify every aspect of death's attack. We proclaim in Cleveland the defeat of death. And the triumph of an indestructible life. For as we are enjoying Christ. Being ministered into us by the divine high priest the one who has been processed, we partake of the divine priesthood that conquers death and that diminishes, eliminates, and swallows up all the issues of death. Sister Lee was terminally ill. She was 95. For weeks, she couldn't eat, she didn't eat, yet she was strong in her spirit, and she was being sustained. I'm just telling you the fact, there's no boast about anything. Then she was even engaged in a spiritual warfare at 95 terminally ill, no nourishment. And then she made a request of the ones serving her. This is just what she did. She said, would you ask Brother Ron to come and be with me and be with us to visit me and pray with me the prayers of spiritual warfare? So surely I had to honor her request, and we went. And she made clear the nature of the battle she was fighting for the sake of the Lord's recovery. And the Lord released the prayer. And the God of peace prevailed, and then I just went my way. And the one serving her just said, for days... She was just rejoicing in the Lord's victory. I saw this lived out, and Brother Lee at the end, <clears throat> and Sister Lee at the end. I was not there when she breathed her last, <clears throat> the attending nurses and others were there. They were so sweet, she said to them, is it okay If I go now? And they said, yes, Sister Lee, you can go now. And she just went to meet the Lord. 95 years old. What a testimony. But we also have to say, but please listen to the end. What a loss when such a member is no longer with us. So the Lord is praying there will always be in all the churches brothers and sisters who are participating in the divine priesthood by receiving and then transmitting indestructible life. So now we're going to go to the second section, the last chapter of Hebrews, most of which we read, and the main point is that the entire church life in its practicality depends on the present heavenly ministry of Christ. I repeat what I said earlier. The writer of this epistle was writing to suffering saints in Jerusalem who were being imprisoned, who were being physically persecuted. Some of them were executed. Tremendous pressure was put on them. Just stop meeting in those homes. Come back to the temple. Come back to your family religion. Join us at the Feast of Tabernacles. Leave the church. Leave this talk about grace and the Son of God and all of this. We have Moses. We have the temple. We have the law. But Paul knew that entire dispensation had been terminated. God's New Testament economy had been initiated. The gospel of the kingdom brought us into another realm. The church in Jerusalem is an expression of the body of Christ. And the fight was for the continuation of the church life. So, Paul says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. So, that's an indicator some were doing this. They could not bear the pressure, the attack of death. So, Paul didn't write a letter just saying, Be strong, be brave, tough it out. He wrote an epistle opening the heavens. To show the ascended Christ, we do not see all things subject to him. That's certainly the case. But in our spirit, we see Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Do you see him? He would say, do you see him in your spirit? He's the high priest. He's Melchizedek. He's the great shepherd. He's the minister. He's supplying us. Go into the Holy of Holies in your spirit. Behold him. Receive his supply. And then go outside the camp of religion. Bear his reproach. Jesus is outside of Judaism. Just as he's outside of organized Christianity. He's outside. You will bear his reproach. Outside the camp. But you can do that. Because inside the veil, you are receiving this marvelous supply. You behold his radiant face. You receive a transmission of his transcendent life. You're touching resurrection life. You're energized. You're full of grace. And now, of course, you will say, Lord Jesus... I will go where you are, outside the camp. I will not return. I will not go back to save my soul. I will follow you to the end. So in chapter 13, we won't do this now because I'm aware of the time limitation. You have a remarkable... Change. You read chapter 12. Paul is contrasting the two scenes at Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the church of the firstborn. You have an unshakable kingdom. Serve God. Then it's like you drop 50,000 feet. Let brotherly love continue. You see the connection? It's all for, Let brotherly love continue. Stay in the love of the brothers. Keep showing hospitality. Then he says, remember those in prison. Your brothers and sisters are in prison. Remember them with the sense you are in prison with them. And those that are being mistreated in the body, physically tormented. You should have the sense you're suffering the same way. Then he addresses marriage. For the church life, you need to honor the marriage relationship. It's a foundational element of a church life. So my wife and I, by the Lord's intercession, our prayer is for hundreds, hundreds of young brothers and sisters. Bring them together the way you brought us together. In essence, not outwardly the same, in essence. Give them such a positive view, such a sweet taste. Such an inspiring testimony. And may your married life be part of the church life. Not two separate lives. Then he's really practical. Don't love money. You need money to live. The Lord is not going to forsake you. He won't abandon you. But you may never get rich. You know from 1 Timothy 6 that It's no crime, it's no sin to be wealthy. But Paul had words just to shepherd them so that they would live in the divine life. And then the leading ones, that expression is mentioned three times, they're leading ones. You need to respect them. And the leading ones, you need to realize the saints are observing you, observing your manner of life to imitate your faith. And these leading ones watch over your souls. So I don't have to belabor the details. The whole church life is an expression of the present heavenly ministry of Christ in all of its aspects, and we need to realize, and although the we is inclusive, especially those with some measure of experience, and who are bearing responsibility, we don't lay it on the new ones, the young ones, to have that much realization. Let them be new, and let them be young, and let them not worry about these weighty things. But some of us, we don't need to worry, but we need to realize that this church life, let's just say the church in Wycliffe, not a huge congregation, the church in Wycliffe owes its existence to the present heavenly ministry of Christ. If that is not the experience of the saints in 20 or 30 years the church in Wycliffe either will not exist or it will be a religious entity. The only way we can continue to be the church is to be practicing the church life by the indestructible life under the ministry of Christ as the divine high priest. He knows this. He knows that the church life is humanly impossible. So don't try to do what's humanly impossible with the natural human life. Only the divine life makes all things possible. And faith, we know from Hebrews 11, The entire Christian life and church life is in faith. Faith practically means, I can't do this. I can't be this. I can't make it. And I can't take it. I can't do any of this. So you have to realize, God only asks you to do what you can't do. Like the end of Matthew chapter five, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what are you gonna say? Amen, I'm just gonna go out and be perfect. (laughs) And so that is meant to just thrust us in the direction of realizing, I can't do this. We gave a message recently in the Wednesday night ministry meeting and the all-inclusive Christ being processed to become the breath, the holy breath in John twenty twenty two. And this breath is the process and consummated Christ as the Spirit. And we quote Brother Lee, only the breath can be a Christian. Only the breath can be an overcomer. Now I would say, Only the breath can live the church life. It it is quite a serious situation if the leading brothers don't take the lead to know this. If they are the leading ones that we should honor and respect and obey, they will give an account They watch over our souls. They should realize we won't touch any matter. We won't talk to any saint. We won't make any decision by ourselves. We fear that. This is not just a matter of my personal life. This is someone else's life. Their life. More than you might realize. And so this thrust us open, Lord. Don't let us do anything in ourselves. You are the one administrating, shepherding, ministering, interceding. Supply us now as we're with these ones who are in this situation. Okay, I'll read through the outline and then we'll summarize. And I'll add a final closing point. Hebrews... 13, 1 through 19, speaks of the virtues and the experiences needed for the practice of the church life. And the chapter begins with, let brotherly love continue. It's one thing to have brotherly love at the start, sort of like your honeymoon. But to continue, To love all the saints with the same love, without preference. To let it continue, no matter what happens. Paul could tell the Corinthians, the less I'm loved, the more abundantly I love you. I will very gladly spend and be utterly spent for your sake. But his love was not dependent on how Others regarded him. Is that how we're going to love? So the Lord is praying for this, that brotherly love would continue. As indicated by its contents, this chapter was written with a view of a proper church life. Nearly everything mentioned here, such as brotherly love and hospitality, is for the church life, not only for the Christian life. For a true and steadfast church life, we must hold on to the Christ, who is the same yesterday and today and even forever, and must not be carried away by various strange teachings. There have been situations where weird teachings, especially concerning the Lord's coming and things like this, enter the church life, saints get excited. It destabilizes them. We just hold on to Christ himself. See, the more we are in our spirit, enjoying the heavenly Christ, the more we will come outside the camp of religion following the suffering Jesus. The church is the tabernacle or temple of God. However, the church changed in nature from being a tent to a camp. See, in Exodus, when the people became idolatrous, Moses moved outside the camp. And that's where he, in his tent, He conversed with God face to face. And anyone who wanted God had to go outside the camp because that's where the Lord was manifested. Under the Lord's sovereignty, in June 1966, I made the decision, after much study, to leave the total system of Christianity. Every form of it. And to follow the Lord's leading to go to California in search of not an ideal church, the genuine church. The next month, I received an invitation from a seminary friend to give a sermon at the Presbyterian church he was speaking at. So I gave my last sermon. I really didn't know what I was doing. But I had the burden to speak from Hebrews 13, going outside the camp. And I portrayed a picture, that's where Jesus is. And I told all of them, I don't know what you will do, but I am going outside the camp where Jesus is. Then I left, never to return. No, 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 we'll never go back anymore. No, 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 we'll never go back anymore. So it took some decades, but my dear friends, brothers and sisters in Christianity, now realize Ron, Ain't coming back. (laughs) (laughs) They had to go outside the camp. So, some Princeton friends, seminary friends, heard I was in California. They thought I'd become a hippie or whatever. (laughs) One called me, and he said, um, "We're concerned." about your health, they meant <laughs> mental health. <laughs> and so, just to complete the story, I felt I needed to thoroughly clear things up, okay? So I needed to return my scholarship because it didn't fulfill the requirement of being an ordained minister at 25% interest. I did it with joy And then I wrote a letter to a high official at the seminary. I wish I had kept his response. He said, I'm alone in my office late at night writing this response to you. And I'm asking myself, can one man be right and the whole church be wrong, meaning the Presbyterian Church? And when I read it, I said, yep. (laughs) <laughs> it's, not, it's not me and arrogance. This, this is the camp. This is a religious system. This isn't the church. This isn't where Jesus is. Mm-hmm. By that time, I was at church in Los Angeles, and I had found the perfect will of God, which is the body of Christ expressed as local church So, we never make an issue of the church with fellow Christians. We'll never twist your arm. We won't argue with you. But I'll just tell you this. If you want to take this way, of living a church life under the heavenly ministry of Christ. On the one hand, it will supply you with the unsearchable riches of Christ. On the other hand, it will cost you everything. It's not not the broad way, it's the narrow way. But I can say after more than 50 years Of being here. I never had a regret. I never looked back. I've never been happier. In my life. Than I am. Right now. If I'm close to crying. It's tears of joy. Oh to be here. With you beloved brothers and sisters. Within the veil. And outside the camp. Practicing the church life under the heavenly ministry of Christ. To undersea, the camp signifies a group of people, in particular a religious people, who are not faithful to the Lord. When I was in the denomination, I attended a few days' convention for all the ministers in Michigan and all the elders. When I tried to go to sleep about 10.30, I couldn't sleep because so many stayed up late at night playing cards, drinking, playing cards. No wonder I left. (laughs) I'll never go back. Religious people who are not faithful to the Lord, we're not saying there are no lovers of Jesus. We're talking about a system that is contrary to the nature of the church. We're not talking about people. We're talking about a religious system. At this present time, Christianity is not a tent but a camp. This means that the church degraded to become Christianity. In principle, Christianity as a religious system comprises a group of religious people belonging to the Lord in name and honoring the Lord with their mouth but having their hearts set on something other than the Lord. According to the history of the church, those who really sought the Lord had to leave organized Christianity, that is, leave the camp and go forth to the Lord outside the camp. After one of the first meetings I attended, after moving from San Francisco, where I was for a few weeks, to L.A., after one of the church meetings, a brother who had been a pastor came up to me and introduced himself to me. I remember what he said. He said, when you come here, you lose all of your glory, and so does everyone who glorified in you. Not easy for the wife of a kind of distinguished preacher to take this way. You know, many cases, the brother saw something, but the wife wouldn't give up what she thought was the glory of being first lady in that kind of way. Some say... I just don't get this matter of the ground of the church. I I can't grasp it. Our response is, although we may not always utter it, it's not the matter that you're not clear. It's a matter you're not willing to pay the price. The Lord said in John 7, verse 17, If anyone wills, determines to do his will, God's will. He will know, he will know. After I'd been here for a while, I wondered why am I here? And so many close friends of mine have no interest. So I concluded initially, well, I was a seeker, I was seeking. But not long after that, I was with some saints pray-reading, and we pray-read a verse in Romans, quoting Psalms. It says, there is none who seeks God, not even one. And I had to repent. I said, I'm not here, Lord, because I was seeking. I'm here because of your mercy. It's just mercy all. Immense and free. But oh my God. It found out. You and me. Now section D. Since in the church life. We enjoy the unchanging Christ as grace. And follow him outside religion. We should offer through him. Spiritual sacrifices of praise to God. Let me read this again, the verse. Through him, then, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise continually to God. That is the fruit of lips, confessing his name. Here we have this expression, through him. If we try to make up our mind to say, from now on, Lord, I'm going to praise you every day. I'm convicted, I haven't praised you. This won't last. We can only offer the sacrifice of praise through him. Now, who is the him? The him is the Christ revealed in Hebrews. That's the hymn. Through the heavenly... (coughs) Through the ascended Christ with his heavenly ministry, through Christ as the divine high priest, through him as the channel, we can offer the sacrifice of praise. The verse doesn't say, through him we praise. Offer the sacrifice of praise Continually. Okay, what is the sacrifice of praise? A sacrifice is something offered at a cost. At a cost. So if you're really sacrificing something, then you have decided to be deprived of something precious in order to offer this precious thing to the Lord or whomever. We have been greatly helped by Brother Nee's message, printed as a separate booklet entitled, Praising. And we owe to him, and we learn from him, the meaning of the sacrifice of praise. I received an encouraging email from a co-worker. I could amen the email. He had some serious symptoms, That appeared could have been cancerous. So he needed to have surgery, followed by a biopsy. Then he shared the good news. I just got back, got the results from the biopsy. It's not cancer. Praise the Lord. It's very easy to praise the Lord when something good, something beneficial happens. Let's suppose he got the report that it's cancerous. I'm not saying, praise the Lord for the cancer. I'm saying after the shock, after the realization, if you can then turn back to your spirit and say, Lord, in this situation, I praise you. You are still my God. You are still my Lord. I worship you. You are still on the throne. You are still ministering life to me. That is the sacrifice of praise. Continually. Brother Nee has a hymn. Chorus, each blow I suffer is true gain to me that one of the lines says, Do my heartstrings need your stretching, songs divine to prove? Do I need for sweetest music cruel treatment of your love? So the Lord is awaiting something in the churches. A life of praise, of sacrifice of praise. Paul and Silas could do this because they were living and moving under the heavenly ministry of Christ. They could sing praise to him in their pain, in their imprisonment. They realized this persecution doesn't shake God's throne, doesn't change God's nature doesn't alter God's heart of love for us. This is the victory. And according to the passage in the Old Testament, this is the way the people of Israel fought against a superior enemy. What was the strategy? The king said, we do not know what to do. Our eyes are set on you. And the instruction was, you praise, the Lord fights. So let's just acknowledge where we are presently, without guilt, okay? Let's just acknowledge very little praise in our personal life, in our married life, in our church life. Even when we start to praise, we can just say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. One day in Eldon Hall, a young brother just before the table meeting said enthusiastically to an elder brotherly, Samuel Chang, he said, praise the Lord, Brother Chang. Brother Chang says, for what? For what? What can we praise the Lord for? So the Lord is not coming demanding, wagging his finger at us and saying, shame on you, you're not praising. He's ministering to us so that little by little, through Him, we'll begin to live a life of praise. Even a sacrifice of praise. So I read the rest of this section and then I have a closing word for about five minutes. We'll stop before 11.15. In the church, we should offer up through Christ a sacrifice of praise to God continually. Continually. In the church, he sings in us hymns of praise unto God the Father. And in the church, we too should praise God the Father through him. Eventually, in the church, he and we, we and he, praise the Father together in the mingled spirit. He, as the life-giving Spirit, praises the Father in our spirit. And we, by our spirit, praise the Father in his spirit. This is the best and highest sacrifice that we can offer to God through Christ the Son. This is greatly needed in the church meetings. So we look to the Lord that in the times to come, as we respond to his heavenly ministry, we'll begin to offer praise. So if you get your tax refund and you're surprised to realize it's $4,000 more, you praise the Lord. If you get a notice you're being audited after you have your reaction, you still praise the Lord. Because He's the Lord. Because His throne is forever. Because His life is indestructible. Now I just read to conclude two verses with one comment. Also in chapter 13. Verse 20. Now the God of peace He who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep in the blood of an eternal covenant, perfect you in every good work for the doing of his will, doing in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, Through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. This is the second time we have the word through used in relation to Christ. Through him, we offer praise to God, sacrifice of praise. Now here, the God of peace is doing in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, so that we may do his will. This is what the God of peace would like to do in all of us when in the short while we leave and find our way back home. We live before him with this attitude under your heavenly ministry. The God of peace wants to perfect us in every way, to do His will. We are practicing the church life to do the Father's will. In order for us to do His will, He needs to do in us that which is well-pleasing in His sight. And what is pleasing in His sight is His beloved Son, in himself and the beloved son being worked into our being and expressed through us. I say this, I believe I can and I must, I say this on behalf of the ascended Christ in his heavenly ministry. What he's looking for is our openness and our willingness for the God of peace to do in us whatever is well-pleasing in his sight, so that we may be perfected in doing his will, whatever it is. The church life that is pleasing to God is a group of ordinary human beings in a locality expressing the body of Christ, living in the fellowship of the whole body, and they have a common focus and a common attitude before the Lord. Day by day, all the time, anytime, everywhere, anywhere. In everything, in anything, their attitude is, Lord, I come to you as an open vessel I'm here to do your will as part of the body of Christ. I ask you, work in me what is pleasing in your sight. In other words, Lord, from this point on, do in me, do with me whatever is pleasing to you. I present myself to you now when we do this, we're in the position to receive the maximal transmission of this wonderful ascended Christ in his heavenly ministry. Personally, we'll be energized to run the race, to gain the prize of the kingdom. Corporately, we practice our church life by an indestructible life. Under the heavenly ministry of the Divine High Priest, we love each other, we suffer together, we live a normal human life, we go outside the camp, we offer sacrifices of praise, and we allow the God of peace to do whatever pleases Him. The more the Lord gains this among us, the more the heavenly Christ will know At last, I can move through my members without any hindrance. And the will of God will be done on earth, even as it is now being done in heaven. So my burden has been released. I believe the Lord is happy. And I think we're also kind of happy together. So let's offer some thanks and praise to the Lord. Then we'll have at least some time for some response and some closing announcements. So please pray with your neighbor.